Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that came to mind. I see Mr. Rogers coming in. Yes, we're old enough. That's a song in our minds. It's a beautiful day in Putting the Putting his sweaters on, changing That's his right. shoes, all that good stuff. We hope you're having a beautiful day in your neighborhood. Yes. We're happy to have you with us. Yeah, I just this past week started listening to another podcast, another Catholic podcast. Do tell. Yes. Uh, it's called Restore the Glory, and it's recorded by two Catholic um counselors therapists friends of ours whom we know yeah dr bob Schutz and jake kim and we've talked about i'm sure about dr bob Schutz on our podcast before i'm not sure if we've mentioned jake kim before um but they are having these beautiful conversations i think so helpful when you're a counselor i think you start to realize that so many people need to know the same things and how can you ever have one-on-one counseling time with all the people who could benefit from what you've learned in your practice? And I remember talking with Jake about that many years ago when mm-hmm. he was here for a course. So I'm really happy for him and Bob to have this way of sharing. What they have done is they really have integrated psychology and Catholic theology and the healing power of both understanding God and his nature and the healing power of the sacraments. Um, so it's just such a gift. Yep. And I've listened to several episodes of that podcast, and I'm I'm really grateful to them for doing it. We talk so much on our podcast here about our need for sexual healing. Mm-hmm. And we always say, uh, at least the recorded message says, we are not counselors. We are not counselors. Yeah. Um, Bob and Jake are, and you, you'll gain a lot of insights from their podcast. In fact, we'll link uh, in the show notes here to two episodes of their podcast in which they interviewed yours truly. And some aspects of my own story and journey of sexual healing came out in those two episodes. Um, it was only supposed to be one episode, but we just got on a roll and there was so much more to say, we decided to, to make it two episodes. And it's interesting in telling one story as I was doing in this interview, new lights came even as I was unfolding it. And I've told various aspects of the story many times, but some some new things came out even that were lights to me, new insights wow. on my own journey. So I'm, I, I'm excited to have our listeners here uh, exposed to this podcast, Restore the Glory. Yeah, both Jake and Bob are are dear friends, and they're doing such great work out there. So, yeah, check out those those links. Yeah, and speaking of Bob Shoots, we actually have an exciting event for our patrons coming up with Doctor Bob Shoots on December eleventh. We are offering, as we do throughout the year, we're offering a retreat to our patrons. Bob Schutz and I will be looking at John Paul II's theology of the body as it is applied to this question of sexual healing. So if you are interested in participating in that retreat, uh, maybe you're not available on December 11th itself, 
uh, we will record it and we'll have it in the library of our retreats exclusively for our patrons. So if that is of interest to you, check out the link below. Uh, and yes, it is possible for you to pay $10 once to be part of that retreat. And then if you want to cancel your patronage because that's all you wanted, um, you can do that. Of course, we would suggest you not cancel your patronage and keep taking advantage of all the great things we offer our patrons. But if you just want to spend $10 and be part of that retreat with Bob Schutz, you'll have a month worth of the benefits and then you can cancel your membership and not have to continue. But yeah, it's a way that we are funded. It allows us to do our work. So we would be grateful if you would prayerfully consider that. And we have lots of great benefits we offer our patrons. Shall I read our first question? Let's do it. And this is I, from a patron. From a patron, as always. Yes, named Mitchell. Hello, Mitchell. Thank you for supporting the work of the TOB Institute. We're so grateful to you. Mitchell says, I can't thank you enough for this podcast and the work you do with the Institute. Supporting you as a patron, the only organization my wife and I have ever supported in this way, was the easiest decision we've made financially. Oh, thanks, Mitchell. We have already made plans to attend TOB one course in person in the summer of 2022. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Can't wait to meet you, brother. Yeah. My question. For some reason, on Sundays, my wife and I get this depressed feeling, like we should be doing something besides just mass, and the only option we can think of is to clean the house and get ready for another crazy week with our four kids. I can relate. <laughs> just last Sunday, I remembered what you said about pursuing good arrows. So I turned on music I loved, danced with my kids, and seemed to have been lifted wow. from that feeling. Wow, that's awesome. But my wife still felt depressed. I tried to tell her about good eros and to think of something she loves to do, but she didn't understand it, nor could she think of something to do. Our youngest is seven months old and takes a lot of her time and energy. Mm. My response is usually to take her on a date, <laughs> which helps. But I feel there should be more she can do for her. Mm. What kind of advice can you give to my wife and me who regularly experience this depressed feeling, specifically on Sundays? And he concludes, does the pursuit of good arrows play a role here? Wow. Wow, wow. I, on many levels, Mitchell, I'm just impressed with your awareness, uh, with your insight, with your love for your wife. Uh, yes, certainly Good Arrows plays a role here, as you have already illuminated for, for us, as Wendy read your own reflections there. But what I want to zoom in on here, Wendy, and, and you and I can relate to this. What Just recently you were saying we were talking about something from some years ago when we had really young kids, and you, what did you say? Those were the... Something like my zombie mom your zombie, days. Your zombie <laughs> years or your zombie moments. <laughs> Yeah, I, I. Do you want to press into that a little bit about those zombie, that uh, zombie feeling? What it sounds like to me. The reason I bring this up is because it sounds like to me, with that seven-month-old, that yeah. this dear woman might be in that place. I do have a story that I might just quickly share. That once when we had, I think probably our fifth uh, baby, and I, she was still a baby, and I, I came to one of your presentations with her, and I remember you were just talking about desire and like getting in touch with our desire and knowing that like God put desire in us and and you were set ablaze right no I was sitting there <laughs> thinking 
<laughs> like it was hard for me to even come up with any desire. Yeah. Like it was so I was just that sort of fatigued by um, so many factors in our life, but certainly caring for our young children was a big factor. And I love babies. I love our babies. Most of all, I I don't want to make it sound like I don't realize how fulfilling it is to be a woman, a mother, because I do. But there, there were aspects and maybe it's just imbalance in our lives and the ways that I was, we were caring for our children, or maybe it was unavoidable. I'm not sure, but where I think just, I, I actually had kind of like brain fog Mm. and just sort of a, a general lowness of like just any kind of inclination to do anything other than the very next necessary thing to be done. And that was a hard place to be in. And I also remember struggling at in that phase of our life to even know kind of my own personality. Yeah. Like I remember saying like, how would you describe me? Yeah. I I remember that time. It it, it did seem like you were so taken up with the care of our children, which itself is a testimony to the gift of yourself in your motherhood. I don't think it's a sign of your handicap. I don't think it's a sign that something was wrong with you. I think it's a testimony to the real exhaustion. Think about that word, exhaust. You're 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 expending yourself. Mm-hmm. You're you're pressing yourself out so much that you are exhausted, pressed out, uh, emptied out. Uh, the the scriptural word and the word that's been adopted by Catholic theology is is kenosis. The self-emptying. Right, emptied, yeah. Christ emptied himself mm-hmm. for us. And I think you were experiencing that in your motherhood. Yeah. And when you're emptied out, um, you may not feel even connected with things that once made you feel alive or yeah. once gave you, uh, ignited your passions or interests. And and that was that was a particularly hard time in our marriage for sure. Yes. And I do want to say something about that presentation when I was there and, and really noticing my own bafflement at the thought of like being in touch with my desires. And I remember just praying, Lord, stir my desires, stir my passion. Like mm. I I need it to not be settled all down to the bottom. Like I'm, I'm picturing like a, a mixture where it's all just like all that was stirred in, all that was part of the mixture has just dropped yeah, down. Yeah. And I need the Lord to like yes, get take in there a good and stir it up. spiritual spoon, stir woo, it up, get it, get it back in the mix. Um, and I do think he answered that prayer, but I do think it was a gift just to even realize I needed to pray that. And yeah. so that was, that was a gift, you know, of wrecking, Self, self-awareness and also awareness of God's desires for me um, to be more fully alive. I'll also just say this about Sundays, because I remember um, realizing when I was, when our kids were smaller, that it was very hard to have Sunday be different from other days in terms of resting from work, because all, almost all the things I needed to do, I needed to do every day. You know, there, yeah. there wasn't really a necessarily a rest on Sunday. So I can remember just two things. One was that I would, 
you know, try the one thing I felt I could put off till Monday was laundry. So like, don't do laundry on Sunday. That was like my, you know, sort of day of rest thing for my labors. But I also remember at different times taking time for something that was meaningful to me. And one of those was to sit down at the piano and play music, which I just typically didn't do because it didn't have a practical purpose in our lives at that time. So that is something that, you know, I have done in the past for a Sunday special thing or to make time to read a book that's just of interest to me. I mean, those are small things and it may be only 20 minutes of my Sunday. They're small things, but they're big. But it, yeah, it, it, they're it is They're important in their significance. Yeah, so the, those are some just personal things. I want you to continue your answer. Yeah, well, Mitchell, I, I don't have much to add to what Wendy said. I think she's shown a great light here. But I, I would say, just to recall to your mind and your heart that you are your wife's number one intercessor. And she may be going through a phase in her life where she's so exhausted in taking care of the kids that she's not in touch with some of her interests and things that awaken that good eros we're talking about. Um, And for those who may be new to this concept, what do you mean by good eros? Well, eros, as St. John Paul II says, is the upward impulse of the human spirit towards what is true, good, and beautiful. And the way we overcome bad eros misdirected eros is with good eros and plenty of it. Uh, That's a a quote from Timothy Petitsis, an Eastern Orthodox theologian. We overcome bad eros with good eros and plenty of it. I love that. Um, But again, in different phases of our lives, when we're so exhausted with taking care of young children, for example, it can be hard to be in touch with that. But you, Mitchell, you can pray as your wife's main intercessor for that kind of settling of those desires and passions and interests to be stirred up, like Wendy was saying, and your intercession is effective. Uh, I would also suggest to you, Mitchell, to look for ways of, of freeing up your wife so that she has the time to get in touch with some of those desires. I remember, Wendy, during uh, a long stretch of years, a Sunday afternoon, was a time where I was in charge of the kids, mm-hmm. like for a few hours, as lo- you know, as long as the kids could endure being apart <laughs> from you, I would take them away from the house. I would take them out for a Sunday brunch or lunch. I'd take them to McDonald's Playhouse. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd take go them on hikes. go on hikes, right? In in warmer times of the year, we'd go outside, and we just get the kids out of the house so that you could have time to yourself. Mm-hmm. So Mitchell, look for those opportunities, and and Sunday is a great day to do that. To give your wife uh, a couple hours or a few hours, or even if it's only an hour uh, of time to herself to to do things that bless her, mm-hmm. like call a friend you haven't talked to. That's high on my list. <laughs> yeah, those those are all real needs of the human heart, mm-hmm. and and I'll say this in closing that. Again, I, I don't want to give the impression that that time in life when you're so taken up in caring for children, for example, uh, is itself that exhaustion is, is a sign that something's wrong. Uh, I'm reminded of John Paul's repeated quoting from the Second Vatican Council 
that man can only find himself through the sincere gift of himself. And that is to say, the human being can only discover who he or she really is by emptying himself. And that means there's going to be a season, a, a time, a season, a an ongoing kind of pattern in our lives even of self-emptying that leads to a rediscovery of who we are. Mm. And when we're in that phase of really pouring ourselves out, it can be a sense of who am I? Jesus says, if you want to discover your life, you got to lose it. Mm. And there's a real losing there. There's a real, I, you know, I have poured myself out. I feel empty and I don't know who, who I even am. But in that emptying, there is the hope of discovering who we really are. That's a, a that's basic gospel math, right? To to find your life, you got to lose it. To to discover your true self, you got to become a gift of self. You got to give yourself away. To be fulfilled, you have to empty yourself. These are all paradoxes of the gospel, but we can count on them and we can trust in the promise. In the emptying, we will be filled. Mm. Yeah, you're causing me to think back on that time in my life in a new way. Thank you. You're, yeah. you're blessing my heart with your answer. Well, thank you, Mitchell, for bringing up the topic of conversation. Yeah. Uh, our next question is from uh, a listener named Marcio. Hello, Marcio. Hi, Christopher and Wendy, he says. We're engaged and very soon to be united in holy matrimony. We feel very fortunate to have learned of the great gift of Theology of the Body through your presentations in both Denmark and Brazil. Wonderful. Wow. I'll just throw in here that um, Marcio shared a lot of more details about how each of them attended different things in those two countries. Uh -huh. But it's pretty neat to think that they were in such different locations and got to uh, ex be exposed. You mean he and his fiance yes. were in different... Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really fun. So we thank God for your life and your marriage and pray for more lives to be touched by this truth. About our question. Recently, we discovered a medical condition that can be a cause of male sterility. To study it properly, the doctors asked for a semen test. We know how this sample is obtained for these tests, and we want to know whether in this case the church allows this. We would be very happy to welcome children in our marriage, but also don't want to go against God's plan for our lives and our bodies. Marcio, thank you for that very practical, very honest question coming from a place of, of real longing in your heart to, to follow God's will, and of course a longing for children. Uh, for those who may not know what Marcio is getting at here, um, when Doctors ask for a sample of semen. They usually lead people into a little private area and will even say, here's some pornography, masturbate and ejaculate in this little cup. Uh, masturbation is an objective disorder. Mm -hmm. It is a, an objective wrong use of the sexual faculty, which means there is no circumstance that can ever make something objectively wrong, acceptable, or okay. So when something is objectively immoral, nothing can make, make it okay. So that's the short answer. But here's the good news. There is the possibility of using in the marital embrace 
what is called a perforated condom. This means some of the semen is allowed to be released into uh, your wife's body. Now, I know you're not married yet, so this would be something you would have to wait until marriage to engage in licitly. But in the marital embrace, you can use a perforated condom. Some of the semen is deposited in your wife's body in the normal way. Uh, another portion of the semen is retained by the perforated condom to be used for medical purposes of determining sperm count, etc. So there, that is the moral alternative to masturbating to attain a sample for medical examination. So that's that's the long and short of it. Yes, and I think you know it's something where you you need to be in touch with faithful Catholic doctors yes, who yes. study male uh, infertility. I also want to just encourage you that um, obviously since you're not married yet, you have simply the opportunity to wait and see if if this is even an issue at all. That's because true because you haven't experienced whether God in fact does bless you with children with whether this is a health issue at all. So. Right. Um, but I think I sense a certain wanting, certain concern about the other diagnosis, understandably, and a eagerness to know: is this, you know, going to be part of our story? So, um, I just certainly wouldn't want anybody to jump and have that test done before any, you know, prolonged time of not conceiving, and then, yeah, that you would need to contact. Um, what would you recommend? Uh, yeah, I would recommend the Paul VI Institute for the Study of Human Reproduction, and we can put a link in the show notes mm -hmm. to take you there. They will know very well how to direct you there. Mm -hmm. And I also want to add this, that physical fertility is a beautiful gift, obviously. Thank you, God, for the gift of our physical fertility. But there is a spiritual fertility that is more potent and more powerful. And I always say this to couples who long to have children but are unable. Uh, this is not just a platitude. This is real. That spiritual fertility is always present in the marital embrace so long as the couple is not willfully closing the act to physical fertility, right? Because the physical is the sign of the spiritual. If we willfully render the act sterile physically, then it is also spiritually sterile. But if we are doing nothing of our own will to render the act sterile physically, then whether it is actually fertile physically, it is always fertile spiritually. There is a fecundity, a fruitfulness that is fully revealed at the cross that is grace building on nature or grace perfecting nature that is very significant. I mean, this is what, this is what justifies the expression uh, Mother Teresa. This is why we call a priest Father, because there is another kind of fecundity, a spiritual fecundity, and married couples participate in this fecundity, in this fertility, through their union, whether or not it results in a child physically, so long as they are not rendering the act sterile. So I, I'd in, I would invite you, Marcio, and your fiancé, again, we're not making predictions. As Wendy said, it's good to wait and see. The Lord may well indeed bless you with children, but suppose he doesn't. 
do not consider your marriage to be sterile. <laughs> there is no such thing, when we understand fertility in the sense that I'm talking about, there's no such thing as a sterile sacramental marriage when spouses are really loving one another mm -hmm. as they're called to love, because love is always life-giving. It is always fertile. And John Paul II even says something in Love and Responsibility I came across recently, which really struck me. Remember I shared this with you, Andy, that John Paul II says that in a sense, spouses are generating each other. Yeah, that was a new one. Wow. In their marital embrace. Yeah. They're giving life to each other. Uh, again, so long as they are not rendering it sterile, they're giving life to each other. Amazing, beautiful, powerful. Yeah. And married couples can attest to this, that a, a true sacramental marital embrace is life-giving. Mm -hmm. It's really life-giving. Yes, God bless you in your marriage. Yes, bless you, brother. Our next question is from a listener named Ellie. Hello, Ellie. I have a question about lustful thoughts within marriage. I am 19 years old right now, and I'm dating. My boyfriend and I are waiting for marriage in order to be faithful to the Lord. And although this is hard, it isn't as hard as battling lustful thoughts. In this stage of life, I push these thoughts away and focus on better things rather than lusting. But I cannot help but wonder, how does this work once you are married? With memories of past sexual encounters and fantasies for the future, it seems like this is something that would cross a married couple's mind. I always thought it was okay to think about these kinds of things when you were married, but I want to know for sure. Would this be considered a sin within the context of marriage, or is it okay? Bless you, Ellie. Thank you for making your heart so vulnerable. We're so happy to address your question. I hope we give you food for thought that blesses you. I was struck by one thing you said. You said, when you experience lustful thoughts, I tend to push them away. Now, we need to define our terms here just for clarity's sake. So I want to do that to be sure we're, we're talking about the same thing. Hmm. So mere thoughts about God's plan for human sexuality are not lustful thoughts. Even a, a celebration in your heart and in your mind of the beauty and goodness of the divine plan for sexual union between husband and wife are not lustful thoughts. Lustful thoughts are thoughts that stir us to treat other people actually or in our minds and in our hearts as objects, as things for our own selfish pleasure. Lust, therefore, is, is the inversion of the true gift of self, right? Uh, St. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is beautiful, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, think about these things, <laughs> right? So the marital embrace is lovely. The marital embrace is, is God-given. The marital embrace is a celebration, as God created it to be, of divine life and divine love in the human person, right? So to think on those things, to ponder those things, to rejoice in those things, do so, St. Paul says. It's not, uh, we, we shouldn't equate thoughts about sex with lustful thoughts. But if indeed you are experiencing lustful thoughts, that is the stirring of the sexual appetite in such a way that you are inclined to treat others uh, in your mind, in your heart, or in actuality 
as objects for your selfish pleasure, then we shouldn't be thinking about those things. However, I wouldn't suggest that the solution is to, how did she say it, to, to, to put, it, put it aside or toss it aside or... How did she say that? Push these thoughts away and focus on better things. Yes, push these thoughts away. Um, pushing the thoughts away and focusing on other things. Now, I, I, again, I don't know exactly what you mean by that, but I would guess, and if I'm wrong here, forgive me, but I would guess, because this is the way a lot of people are taught, we get the impression any sexual thought is a bad thought, so I, I repress that, and then I think of better things, i.e. things that don't have anything to do with sex. Well, there are a lot of mistaken notions in that. There's a Manichaean idea in there that is everything sexual is itself bad. That's not true, as I was just saying. Uh, there can be the thought that uh, anything that is not a sexual thought is a better thought than a sexual thought. Well, that's not true. Some of the highest, most beautiful thoughts we can possibly have are thoughts that concern God's plan for human sexuality. And, and here, I, I just think of saint after saint after saint who wrote their commentaries, biblical commentaries, on the Song of Songs, the great erotic love poetry of the Scriptures. More commentaries have been written on the Song of Songs uh, by the saints than any other book in the Bible. Well, what does this tell us? It tells us that the saints found a holy, beautiful, sacred way to understand human sexuality. Indeed, it became for them a, a key, a, you might call it a mystical key, to union with God. Uh, so that is, that is an example of, and I'm going to link this back to a previous question from Mitchell, how do we overcome bad eros? Lust is bad eros. Lust is inverted erotic desire. Right? How do we overcome bad eros? With good eros, and plenty of it. So I would suggest to you, Ellie, that when you find yourself, let's just assume they really are lustful thoughts, bad eros. How do you overcome bad eros? Not by repressing it, not by saying, I'm not going to think about that, I'm not going to think about that, I'm not going to think about that, I'm going to think about something else. <laughs> No, we overcome bad arrows with good arrows. So when you are inclined towards lustful thoughts, here's what I'd suggest. Enter into the Song of Songs. Uh, spend some time in your daily prayer life reading through the Song of Songs. And if you find that challenging, I, I remember the first time, Wendy, you and I read the Song of Songs when we were newly married, and it just like, like way over my head. I, I didn't get it. Uh, but I have come over time as I've grown in my interior life to see the metaphors, the poetry in there as windows into profoundly deep, glorious, beautiful mysteries of the union of man and woman that we don't have to skip over. This is John Paul II's own words. He says, we can be guilty of allegorism in reading the Song of Songs when we jump too quickly from the actual sexual love of the husband and wife that wrote this poetry, we can want to just kind of skip over that and then quickly get to the allegory of God's love for, for the soul. But John Paul II says the way we reach the true content of God's love for the soul is not by asking forgiveness for the body, not by eschewing the sexual, the clear sexual imagery of the Song of Songs, but by entering into that imagery through purity of heart. 
right? So that's the invitation here, Ellie, is for the purification of your heart, not just forget about those lustful thoughts so I can think about something else, but rather, Lord, I surrender these lustful thoughts to you, and I invite your Holy Spirit into my heart, precisely where my desires are disordered. And I ask you, Jesus, through the power of your death and resurrection, to untwist in me what sin has twisted up, so that I can see sexuality as the saints saw it, as the window into union with you. That's the path of overcoming bad eros with good eros. Uh, Again, if the Song of Songs is maybe uh, something you can't relate to initially, you might want to read some books about it. Um, I've written a book about the Song of Songs called Heaven's Song, where I unfold John Paul II's teaching on the Song of Songs. You might want to look at that. Uh, You might want to look at a book, um, a pretty well-known book, put out by Ignatius Press called The Cantata of Love, which is a line-by-line commentary on the Song of Songs. You might want to look at another book called Awakening Love, uh, which is an Ignatian retreat with the Song of Songs. That book is by Gregory Cleveland. Uh, I have found both of those books very, very helpful in my entering into the glories of the Song of Songs. So all of that, I hope, is helpful to answer a certain aspect of your question, Ellie. Uh, Another aspect of your question that I I wanted to quickly address, you said you imagine that once you get married, it's not just lustful thoughts don't just go away, that married couples have to deal with those, and absolutely that is true. And especially if you, like me, it sounds like from your the way you put your question, that you do have a sexual past, uh, a painful one, and I had a painful sexual past before I got married, and those thoughts, those memories, are still in need of healing, of purification. And I'm 26 years into married life, and the Lord is still calling to my mind in my prayer life, okay, let's look at this. Okay, let's look at that. Remember this? Let us let me shine my light there. Let me show you, and this has been the sentiment of those experiences in prayer. The Lord shines a light on those memories, not to scold, not to shame, not to condemn, not to dig up old dirt. And sometimes you'll hear advice like, just try to forget those things. I don't think that's very good advice, because those things are imprinted in our inmost being. Between here and the beatific vision, all of our painful memories will undergo a radical transformation, healing, and even glorification. And that's been my experience in my prayer life, when the Lord brings a certain painful memory of my sexual past to my attention. He does it to heal me. He does it to to reveal to me what I was really looking for. There was some genuine good I desired, but I sought it in a disordered way. And so the healing of memories is really the Lord coming into those places and saying, let me show you what you were really looking for. Yes. And not only let me show you what you were really looking for, but let me provide it. Because what we're really looking for is union with the Lord. That's what we're really looking for. 
that's the whole mystery of the theology of the body. That's what makes human sexuality a theological mystery. It refers to Christ and the church, St. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. And the healing of memories is the redirection of our disordered desires and our disordered experiences towards the full glory of what it means to live in union with Christ as a member of his church. So I hope that's helpful to you, Ellie. I just want to add, um, Ellie, that I think it's very beautiful that you and your boyfriend have this commitment. So rare. And it can be lonely to have that kind of commitment and live in the culture that we live in today, that you want to honor God's plan for man and woman. So I really want to encourage you that you already have experienced a lot of grace to be able to have that commitment. And, um, you know, some of the, the feelings that you are dealing with are probably coming up in relating with your boyfriend and having a a desire, a natural desire for where this relationship could lead you. And I I just also want to encourage you that this stage of your relationship with him, this stage of your life, uh, you need to be just crying out to the Lord for every need you discover. Like, is it a need to trust him that he has a good plan in mind for you or to, you know, grow in hope or to grow in perseverance, all those virtues that are never, we'll never regret having grown in them. Mm. But sometimes we see we don't have them yet. And then it's kind of a confusing situation in our hearts at those times where it's kind of painful or feel like, am I up to this? You know, questioning. And so all of that is like just the Lord revealing in new ways as you come into your adulthood just the need to be very open to him. And I think all of what Christopher was sharing there about reflecting on um, God's plan is can be in part looked at as our need to be open to Christ our bridegroom. So I, I really pray that for you in, in the nitty-gritty of just being 19 and dating somebody um, that, that you would kind of have that as a theme like to open to the lord thank you ellie for submitting your question and thank you to everyone who sends questions our way keep them coming if you would like to increase your chances that we would actually be able to answer your question i'd invite you to consider becoming a patron of the theology of the body institute we we give first dibs to our patrons who submit questions and if you are a patron already please go to your patron website and click the link there to submit a question to this podcast. That will make sure you get in the right pot for us to, uh, is that the way to say <laughs> My wife's it. laughing at me. I liked it. The right, <laughs> the right pot. That was a goofy way to put it. Anyway, keep the questions coming, everybody. We can't have this podcast without your questions. Uh, we're so grateful to you. If you learned something today that blessed you, hit that share button. If you know somebody who needs to hear what you heard today, and may you know it in your bones. You know where I'm going. This is how we end our podcast. You are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher.
West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.